Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today we wanted to dive into the topic of localization, or some people call it internationalization, and some people think those are different. I don't really know. I just call it all localization, and that works for me. But more generally, we're talking about the concept of taking your application and making it, uh, having its appearance and its strings and the things in it be adaptive based on uh, where in the world your user is and what language they're speaking and being adaptive in those kinds of ways. Um, And generally, this is kind of one of those things that I feel like it's a lot of times uh, viewed as kind of like a hygiene thing, like in sense of it's this thing that you Maybe you think you should do, but often you don't. Um, For a long time, I had none of my applications localized at all. Um, And it was always this thing that I'd go to the session at WWDC and kind of feel bad about myself and say, oh, this year I'll (laughs) do it. Um, And then I'd go back and I wouldn't actually do it. Um, And I think it's a tricky one because unless you live in a multilingual or international life, you know, where if you ha- or have speak two languages at home or you live abroad from where your native language is or something like that, it's not something that you would necessarily come across in, you know, in your day-to-day life. And it's always hard, I think, to write features for an application that you yourself won't benefit from um, in, in using it. You know, so when I make my app um, have, you know, just have display all of its, in, you know, strings in German, that's great, but... I don't speak German, so I have no idea if A, if they're right, and which we'll get into a bit later, and B, like I, I don't feel that benefit. And so I always struggled for a long time um, to do it. And I'll certainly say it's it's a bit of a pain to do because if you want to do this, you have to structure a lot of the um, visual components of your application very differently. You have to make things very flexible. You can't hard code a lot of values. Everything has to be able to be switched in and out and adaptable depending on what language and locale your app is being used. Uh, but one day I bit the bullet and in the first app I ever localized was Pedometer Plus Plus. And I localized it and had a pretty impactful change as a result. Like I found that the, my downloads outside of English speaking countries, you know, so outside of the United States, Great Britain, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, um, Canada with an asterisk, because obviously they speak French there too, but they, by and large, you know, outside of those countries, I found that my downloads went up by about three times. Wow. Um, and overall that meant like, obviously that meant that my overall sales didn't go up by three times because most of my sales were still coming from, um, English speaking countries, but overall my sales did go up. And I think it went up by, went up by about more like 50%, um, which was encouraging. And the effort it took to get there has, you know, it was certainly, it's debatable overall whether it was the right trade-off, but I think in general it taught me the lesson that there is an impact to this, and it is something that uh, we at least all need to consider. Because I've also had the flip side where I've localized some of my other applications, and I've had essentially no increase. And so it's not like a silver bullet. It's not like if you localize your app, your sales will go up three times. Like that's definitely not the case. I've had the experience I had in Pedometer Plus Plus was by far the best I've had, but it's also you know it's somewhat distinct from some of my other experiences. Um, have you ever localized any of your applications? Um, 
I mean, basically the answer is no, but I've I, I like I've been <laughs> I've been near internationalization efforts before with in, in past jobs, and so I kind of know what's involved. And I I know I I too have gone every year to the WWC sessions about localization, <laughs> and and I too have sat there feeling bad about myself, thinking why don't I just do this already? Let's just do it, you know. Um, but it's as you mentioned, it, it is it is not easy to do, and one of the biggest. Uh, questions in my mind and which i hear people ask me all the time is will this actually increase sales and by how much and as you said you know like a a big increase for you in in non-english speaking countries that's that's great uh however it's hard to know as you said like it's hard to know whether that will apply to my app or not um and it's hard to know how the how big the increase will be and then whether it will be worth the costs but you know to me i kind of i kind of see internationalization and localization i i also don't know the difference i know there is one and people will get mad at us for not knowing it but i don't know what it is um i see them too as kind of a code hygiene thing and it's kind of similar to accessibility in some ways where if you make an interface accessible uh via the the ios uh, accessibility mechanisms for things like voiceover and other assistive technologies um it it takes sometimes it takes a little bit more work in the coding and design uh, stage, but it usually isn't that much more work to make it possible and and to make it to to, to do it well. Um, usually, it's it's actually very little work because Apple's stuff is so good. You just kind of have to be aware of it as you're coding. And there are certain aspects of internationalization that are that easy. Uh, things like date formatting and stuff like that, like number formatting, currency formatting. Um, in in those kind of areas, Apple provides really easy APIs date formatters number you know like that kind of stuff that if you just use them correctly at all then you will just get nicely formatted things um your your strings won't be automatically translated to different languages but things like displaying numbers and things like that um that will be that's very easy to get right and to have kind of done for you automatically um in overcast i i make extensive use of that kind of thing and for the strings, I do wrap all of my UI strings in NS localized string, which is this macro that you should you know look up NS localized string if you don't know what it is. You should be using it. Um, I, I I I do that for kind of preparation for potential future internationalization efforts, so that it's easy to it's easy to see all my UI strings and easy to easy to pull them out and have them automatically translated or have them translated um, in an automated kind of way uh, if I ever need that. But I don't actually do that. I haven't actually translated it. Um, so I have, and I have a few instances where I'm kind of abusing the formatters. Like in my in my list of episodes, I I omit the year from the date of from an episode's release date if it's the current year because I think that's just a nice little thing to get a little bit less clutter. Like if your episode was released on August first and that was two weeks ago, I don't need to know that it was 2016 like because <laughs> i already know it's 2016 thank you um and this this works there's no built-in function that i know of to do this very well um so i do kind of a hack which is i get the localized version of the current year and just remove that substring from the date string and this turns out to be a really dumb implementation because in certain countries there's uh i i, I forget exactly where it was i think it was it might have been in a Portuguese-speaking country or a Spanish-speaking country, but there was something where I got an email from a user saying, this is kind of weird-looking because there's like there's a word between the the day and or the month and the year, the way it's formatted, where it's like, it's like of or the. So it's like, you know, July of 2016. 
and, you know, whatever the translated version of that is. And so in my version of this, it just says, you know, 16th July of. That's not great. <laughs> no, it's not great. So uh, I have to probably revisit this, this strategy. <laughs> but for the most part, everything else has been um, has been done only in the ways of like using the built-in formatters for numbers and dates and currencies and things, but not actually translating the strings, but making it easy to do so in the future if I want to. Yeah, and I think the approach you're taking is certainly the the one that is at the very least the right approach that making an as you're going as you're building an app being aware that this might be something you want to do later i think will certainly increase the likelihood that one day you will actually get to it rather than hitting the point where it's like okay i need to now like search in my app for every string that is being displayed and then or, you know, add the NS localized string macro to it, or I need to now go and, you know, do all this, switch everything over to using formatters. And, um, it's now in iOS 10, I think there's the new units formatters, which are even like, take this even farther that you can now, it's not even just dates and currency that you can do in numbers. Now you could, you know, for, for, you can even do clever things about speeds or distances. Um, so like I run into this with a couple of my workout apps where, you know, it's how far did you run? And right now I do some things like where I need to be clever about which unit to use and have options in the application for switching that, um, you know, and I, on first launch, I'll see what country you're in. And I assume that if you're not in the United States, you're probably going to use metric units, um, which in general, I think is pretty much the case. And do I, so I do, but I do those switches manually in the you know, iOS 10. I can do this automatically, but by and large, it seems like an, in general, a good idea to keep this as something that it's part of building an app properly. Um, and just like you were saying with accessibility, like if you build an app to do this, you're probably ultimately also going to be a better app um, because you're being thoughtful about what you're displaying to your user at a different level. You know, sometimes I run into situations where um, I'm just being lazy. And so I'll add some uh, words of explanation for something like, and in that case, it's probably symptomatic of my app actually being too confusing and not obvious enough about how how to operate it. If I have to sort of build instructions into it, um, and if you're in a localization mindset, there's a cost to adding that string because now that gets added to your list of things that you need to translate and have localized. And so it's in some ways it, it, it helps you think about your application in a in a constructive way to make sure that you know it's like if you do, couldn't read anything in this application, could you still use it? Um, and if you can, that's probably a good indication that even if you can read the the strings and the labels and things in your application you know it's it's still going to be a good experience um but by and large it's a funny thing because i think doing localizing just to have more downloads is i think a good reason and i think in general for most people there is going to be su it's very unlikely that you're going to have a negative uh correlation there it would only be if you had a terrible translation and the app was actually worse um after localizing localizing it but generally speaking i think you know, having something that's more relevant to a customer by nature should increase that um, somewhat. Um, but the other reason that I think is good to keep in mind when you're thinking about whether you should or shouldn't localize your application is, um, in general, I think Apple tends to only feature applications that are localized 
um, in the country's app store that they're doing the feature in. Um, and so if you want to be featured in the Japanese app store, in the German app store, in the French app store, in the Spanish app store, um, you probably need to be localized into that country um, and probably have made, at the very least have your screenshots and app store description localized um, and probably even your app as well. And that certainly is, again, it's just one of these opportunities that, you know, in as cutthroat of a market as the app store is, those little edges, those little things that by, you know, in general, localization isn't a t- mountain of work. It's something that you have to work on and it'll lose you a, you know, a day out of a, you know, a point release kind of work. Um, you will may it's, it's hard to put your finger on exactly the impact that it's having, but I think it'll have an impact. And the reality is that it's like, it's, it's a little advantage that you may as well take that you may, you know, it's something you can do directly. And it's not like you have to think of this grand new, um, innovative vision for something where you're, you've come up with something totally new. It's like, you're just doing the basics better. Um, and maybe if your competitors aren't localized, then you'll have that little edge on them. And especially, I think a lot of app store algorithms, as best I can tell, are have this kind of this built in sense of, as you get a little bit better, there's a stronger benefit to the person in front, um, which is problematic in some ways, but in this case can be beneficial. That if you can do lots of little things to be slightly better than your, your competitor, you're showing up higher in charts, you're more likely to be featured, you may show up higher in search. Um, there's all these little things that can add up, and this is just one of them. And so in general, I'd say you should localize your app. And I mean, I was actually looking at Overcast uh, before, before your recording, and it's a funny app because I think most of the app you could localize very easily. Um, because most of it is not, it's, it's content that's relevant to the user already. It's like, it's self-localizing. You know, if I'm in France listening to French podcasts, you don't have to like translate the title of the podcasts. Um, all that is already there. It's just the surrounding infrastructure around it. And, you know, even the names of like the name of the playlist, they're going to name the playlist, whatever they want to name it. It's not like you have to do something clever there. It's just some other labels. And so it's probably something worth doing. Yeah, I mean, it also beyond like selfish reasons of this will get me more downloads, you know, which is which are very important. Beyond that, though, a lot of people like if you don't localize, and I know this from the experience of having apps that I haven't localized. If you don't localize, a lot of people who don't speak your language will still use the app anyway. They'll just fumble through. Like they'll they'll just you know because like a lot of times like there might not be any other apps to do the thing, or or they might have heard about yours and yours might be the best one, or they just might want to try yours or whatever the reason a lot of people who don't speak the language of your app will try to use it regardless and so it's it's really a design question of like you know do you want the experience of using your app to be better for people who don't speak the language that it's in do you want do you want you know them to to be able to use it do you want to be able to provide value to people who don't speak your language and to some degree you know like as you said like you know if you look at overcast i i've taken a lot of this to heart where like i try to basically avoid a lot of text where where possible, um, but you know, it, you know, just avoiding the need for text and translation will get you a lot of the way there, and will let people try to kind of figure out and fumble through more easily. Um, like I, I mean, I see even like with games, like my four year old son can't read yet, but he he knows how to play a lot of games on his iPad because they don't rely so much on text. They you know they they just have buttons and and icons and things and and he's able to figure those out. Um, you know, the more your app can not rely on text, the better. But for the text that it does rely on, 
it, you're doing a, a, a great service to the design and experience of a lot of real-world users by localizing because people who don't speak your language are going to try to use it anyway. But anyway, in the case of Overcast, though, I, I am also a little bit scared of of a number of issues that we'll probably get to in the second half of the show. But, like, I mean, you know, little things like what you mentioned, the UI design, like, there are so many features and and labels in the interface where like i've chosen the words extremely carefully and like like i will choose the name of a feature uh based on what will fit in in the table view cell in the settings screen <laughs> like like i i will often like make decisions about like exactly what words this has to be based on like what will fit and i know that if i localize everything it will add a lot of overhead to a lot of a lot of uh, the testing and the validation of the UI and everything on different size devices, especially, um, and some of that we can over we can automate, some of it we can't. Um, but also, it, it, it'll be very easy for my app to be misunderstood. Uh, but I guess this is kind of the you know the perfect being the enemy of the good. Like right now, my app is not is being understood even worse by people who don't speak my language. <laughs> so so I guess maybe uh, maybe uh, that's just a cost I'd have to bear. Yeah, well, before we continue on that front, uh, we are brought to you this week by CocoConf. Now, this upcoming March 20th through 23rd, CocoConf is returning to, the, to Yosemite National Park for its third Yosemite event. And let me tell you, people, I have heard so many great things about this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go this year, I think, because I've heard so many great things about it, and I keep having scheduling problems, and I can't go, but I wish I can go to this event. I'm, I think I'm going to try to make it work this year. We'll see. Anyway, this event, March 20th through 23rd, held again at the Yosemite Lodge at the Falls in Yosemite National Park. Speakers include Ashley Nelson Hornstein, friend of the show David Smith, uh, Andy Anako, Matt Drance, Jamie Newberry, Brent Simmons, and Daniel Steinberg. Sessions run in the mornings and evenings, and afternoons are spent exploring Yosemite National Park with activities including ranger-led hikes, a bus tour of the valley, a photo walk by TED photographer James Duncan Davidson. These are all great options for you to, for you to choose if you want to. There's also, there's also music by James Dempsey and the Breakpoints and by Jonathan Songaday Mann. And you can use code under the radar to save 20% on your tickets to Yosemite. So head on over to cococonf.com slash Yosemite to register. Uh, David, you'll be there, obviously, because you're speaking. I really hope to be there. Looks to be a great conference. And uh, thanks a lot to CocoConf for sponsoring our show once again. So to pick back up what you were talking about, I think there is a fundamental thing, and we'll think for the rest of the show, we'll kind of dive into a bit of the mechanics of what localization is, that once you finally decide it's something that you're going to do, um, I, at least I think you kind of have to let go a little bit on perfection in, in order to, to, to approach this, because just fundamentally, the so, like the width of words in languages is you know, just mind bendingly different between languages. You'll have a language, you know, the classic example is something like German, which tends to have these very long words for, you know, for relatively simple concepts. Um, and then you go all the way to one, some of the more Asian, the Asian languages where you'll have a sing, a single one character symbol as the equivalent of what's being said there. And so you'll never have, like, I know what the feeling of what you're talking about, where you want to have just that perfectly, you know, that perfect word that makes it everything line up nicely, or it gives you a good, you know, sort of balance to the screen. Um, and when you're localizing, you just at a certain point have to say, I, it's it's going to be impossible. And I'd rather, yeah, it's like, I think like you just said, it's, it, I'd rather it be the understandable than visually perfect. And maybe there's a way that if you were really a linguistic genius that you could find different words 
um, you know, that are more appropriate or might have convey the same meaning, but have a more similar length. Like maybe that's possible, but I think I've just had to accept that going down this road is probably better because not doing it, it's like having something that looks visually slightly less unbalanced, less balanced, perhaps is going to be better than something that looks balanced, but is unintelligible. Yeah. Um, so when you're localizing something, I think there's probably, I think briefly to just say, there's two things that you're sort of typically doing. You're localizing the language. Um, so I'm an English speaker. I, that's the only language that I really can speak with any fluency. And so I'm, you know, I write, I write my applications in English as a result. Um, and I can take that language, all the English words and translate them into another language. Um, and then there's the more cultural differences. And this can both be things like we were saying with units, you know, so metric versus imperial units uh, or date formats, uh, or even getting into differences within a language. So for example, we spell the word color differently in the United States than they do in Great Britain. And so you can get into those kind of cultural differences. Yeah, but, but we're right. Of course we are. It's, it, you don't need that U. That U is completely unnecessary. And that's the way it is. The UI color doesn't have a U in it. So for the, when I'm working on iOS... UI color. UI color. So you can do... You, there's two, those two different things that you can be localizing in. And in general, you're the, the more cultural ones are a lot of the things that you're probably going to want to lean on uh, Apple for, for their date formatters and unit formatters and number formatters. And the language ones is probably what I'll talk mostly about now. Because that's when most people think of localization, I think that's what we think of. And that's taking all of the strings that are displayed in your application and wrapping them up in NS localized string macros. Um, and actually, I realized I just don't actually, I don't actually know how you do this in Swift, but I'm sure there's something similar to it, but it's probably not called NS localized string, but there's something I'm sure that can translate back and forth. Um, and you run a little script that pulls all those out of, out of your application and you end up with this little configuration file that's basically just a string and then a translation. And you can take that file and send it to a translation service. Um, there's many of these. I've used a bunch of them. In general, I'm sure there maybe are some differences, but by and large, I've used a couple and they've all been about the same. It's at this point in, you know, in um, iOS development, I think the tools are mature enough that you any of these sort of, and I think Apple even has a website where they recommend a bunch of them. You just take your strings file, you send it to them, and they'll have a translator um, translate it back. One thing you want to do there is uh, in NS localized string, you give both the string you want to translate and you can have a little comments field. Um, and it's very strongly recommended that you put something useful in that comments field, not just the same string again or leaving it blank. Because um, you want to give the translator a sense of what the string actually means in context. Um, I know some translation services also even request that you send screenshots of your application uh, to the translator so they can see what it looks like in context. And so they're going to translate it and send it back to you. Um, or something you can also do is ask a friend or a colleague. Um, I've started actually doing this a few times, especially when I'm doing small translation batches. Um, I'll just ask on Twitter, hey, like I'll make a little Google form and say, hey, here's this one string that I need up, you know, for a point release. Um, if, if you speak any of the languages that my app's translated in, which I think right now is German, Spanish, French, Russian, Chinese, Japanese, and Korean. I think are the ones that I use typically, maybe Portuguese. Um, I, if you speak any of those languages, translate it. Um, and in, 
you know, it obviously that that's nice for me because I have a, a, a large enough audience that I can find someone who speaks one of those languages, but otherwise just use a translation service and it's the same. I will say like generally what you want is somebody who is native to the target language, but fluent in yours, not vice versa. So like if you, if you come up with like, you know, somebody who, who grew up speaking English, um, but you know, like learned a bit of French in high school, like that's like, ideally you want a French person to do the translation for you instead, who just yes. knows enough English to 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 understand what you're trying to say, you know, it could because a native speaker, you know, there's a lot of differences and nuance to these languages to, to any language, and you really ideally you want a native speaker. Yes, and I think even I've I've run into this a few times with translation services, um, where in an ideal way, and this is why I've actually started leaning more on asking friends and people I know who speak those speak the languages that I'm translating into, um, is if someone who actually uses your application on a regular basis um, will have a better translation because I've definitely had a thing where they say like the word you're using here is the right word. It's not like you and they messed up the translation, but the way in which they're using it is different than what a typical person would expect it to be said as. Um, and, you know, you can, I've definitely, I, I will raise my hand and confess that I have um, used Google translate a few times. Oh, I don't do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I was trying to rush out an update and I didn't uh, like, usually this is the problem with localization is once you do it, you kind of have to keep doing it. You know, if you make a small change that adds a string or changes a string, it's like, Oh, I don't want to have to go through a translation service or go through a big process. So I always just go to Google, Google translate and, tr- and did a few translations and it's a train wreck. Like I, I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've done it and I've lived to tell the tale, but I would not recommend it. It is definitely not um, something because the, 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 you'll get some very strange customer support emails where they're just like, so I don't know if I, how to say this best, but the person who did your translation didn't really translate it so much <laughs> as turned it into unintelligible gibberish. Um, and so avoid that. Like if you're just wanting to have a placeholder there, a much better placeholder is in Xcode, you can launch your application with a pseudo language um, which is designed to test your layout. And so things are really long and have to use different character sets and things like if you want to just have something there to, um, test, validate your layout with, use that. Don't use Google translate. I, I made a mistake. Um, but then yeah, you just go through that. You end up with the strings back, you put them back into your application and now your application, when you launch it will be in the new language. And it's kind of cool. The first time you launch your application and you don't understand any of the text. Um, it's kind of a strange feeling, but it's kind of cool. And then you have an app that is is localized. And as you go, you just as you make changes, you just need to keep track of the differences, you know, the, the new strings, or if you make changes to strings, um, and your app's localized. Um, and I don't know if that if there's anything even more on that process. Like Apple has gotten the tool set to at this point be pretty good. Um, that the there was a time I think earlier when I looked into localization back in like iOS three or four days um and it was much more manual and much more cumbersome but in general now you just kind of run the few scripts it pulls it out you send those off to a translation service you get them back you put them back in and you're kind of you know you're 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 up and running so how do you handle the issue of other language support like if people who don't speak your language email you for technical support because that's always been my concern with localizing my stuff is like well even if i localize the whole app 
I'd have to, you know, am I also going to localize the whole website, the content I'm showing in the app, like the the podcast storefronts, like all that stuff, and then also my support, which I mean, I'm a bad example because I don't really provide support, I guess. But sure. But for people who are who are better people than me, uh, who provide support, how do you handle that question? Yeah, and so this is something that I was actually it was the last topic I wanted to touch on because I feel like it's easy to think, oh, well, then I have to provide support in these languages, and I don't speak those languages, and. A, you'll get support in the native language of your users either way. Um, And so sometimes people who know who I am and know that I'm based in the U.S. and, you know, that I speak English will email me in English, even though I know they're, you know, they're they're German or they're French or they're Spanish. Um, But generally, you'll just get emails from people who found your app on the App Store, downloaded it and have a question and they'll hit the contact button if they can find it. Um, because obviously it may, if you, if it's, if it's, you know, email us is the button label, they may not actually know what that means, but maybe email is a fairly good term, but maybe as a side point, it's a good idea to put a, like a, a an icon on that button either way. Um, but you get, get an email and you, those will happen either way. And so you don't have to, I, I really wouldn't worry about it too much. And my experience is I take that, and this is a, an example where Google Translate is your friend rather than in your in-app uh, translations. You just take, you know, if you take what they sent you and run it through Google Translate, it's usually good enough that you can understand what they're speaking what the the intent is, especially because customer support has a by its nature is somewhat repetitive. Like there's tend to be certain issues that come up over and over again. And so you'll get an email and you run it through Google Translate, you'll get a sense of what they're saying. And then what I just what I typically do is I'll respond with I'll respond in English. Because there's, I'm, I can't write in any other language, so that's all I can do. And then I'll take that and run my response through Google Translate um, into the whatever language they emailed me in, and I put that underneath my English trans, um, text and send it back. And in the hopes that the combination of if they speak some English and then having the Google Translate rough translation, they'll be able to understand. And I would say, by and large. That works. Uh, that people understand that I don't speak that their language. That it's I don't get a lot of people upset about that or have issues with that. It, the kind of there's this natural thing that I'm an English. I'm an American company. I speak English, and I'm just doing the best I can. And I think I wouldn't worry about it beyond that. I think you might have converted me. Let's see it. I look forward to uh, <laughs> launching Overcast in German and seeing uh, all those nice big long strings. Oh man, I'm not looking forward to testing that. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.